is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to follow Christ? Is it worth it to be part of the body of Christ? To follow Christ? To be committed to Christ? Is it worth it? See all the people in the world that are not Christians, they seem to be doing pretty well. The pleasures of the world is their joy. It's their drive and life pleasures that they, uh, they have. And sometimes it's like, wow, I might be missing out on some of those pleasures. Often they seem to be having a pretty good time. They live well. Much of Many of them do. They might have brand new cars. Brand new homes. They might have a lot of money. Take nice vacations. We could say, if I wasn't a Christian, I could do all those things. Can you imagine on weekends, I could just take off and go out and live on my boat. <laughs> I could have things that I could enjoy doing. Uh, and my money wouldn't be going to anywhere else. I could spend it on me and my family. and You know, I wouldn't have to really do anything. I wouldn't be responsible to anybody. Wouldn't it be nice? I think you all know <laughs> what my answer would be on that. But uh, here's another one. You wouldn't have to listen to these depressing sermons that you hear every week dealing with sin and judgment and the call to discipleship week after week as we go through what Jesus says and the conviction that it brings. Right? You wouldn't have to listen to that. Wouldn't it be a lot better if you didn't have that? Well... Have you ever asked that question to yourself? Could be. If you've not asked the question, well, you know, it says something about your Christian commitment, how much it is important to you, but it's talking about giving up all of our own possessions, giving up our lives, as we see Jesus mentioned so often. And the commands that He gives about coming to Him and then following Him, denying self, taking up the cross, all those things, the cost of discipleship, they're not really written as options for the super-Christians. You know, that's good for the super-Christians, but all the rest of us Christians, we can still do whatever we want because we're not that committed, right? They're requirements for who? All who follow Christ. All. Those who even seek to follow Him fully will face times when they might wonder, well, in some senses, it would sure be a lot easier. Actually, it wouldn't. But, you know, follow the, that kind of thinking and that's where we can be at. That's not where we want to be. Our text has Peter looking for some kind of reassurance that what he's doing, as far as his commitment is, as he has left his family, his home, his fishing business, everything that he had to follow Christ. And he asked a question. And it just came off of the story about the rich young ruler. And we remember that one where he knew that he was lacking something. And when Jesus directed it finally to what he was really lacking, to have eternal life, he couldn't do it. He couldn't give himself up for that. He couldn't give up everything. And he walked away sadly. Peter, the disciples, they hear this. Of course, he says, Behold... We've left our homes and followed you. And in Matthew it says, what will there be in this for us? You can't blame Him. Because if you give up everything, you want to know at least, well, what's the deal about this? What do I get out of this, right? You wouldn't want to just sacrifice everything and get nothing, right? So, is it really worth it to make the sacrifices that we make for church, just it just starts with let's say church in itself on Sunday morning. You give up 
hours. You know, you get ready, you come here, you participate in worship, and the morning is gone. But it's more than just Sunday worship, isn't it? It's every day. This is just a picture where we all get to come together and get encouraged and to really see that, yes, it is worth it all. Now, the Lord did not rebuke Peter when he asked this question. Because it sounds like, oh, here's Peter again. You know, the foot in the mouth thing, you know? Where he often talks out a turn. But this is a legitimate question. Lord, we've left all, and so what is the reward? The rich man, which would be a prime candidate to be with the disciples there and following Christ and have eternal life, and that's what he wanted. But when he saw the cost, he counted it, and he said, Nope, I can't do it. I'm out of here. So, he went on. Peter then needs some assurance. So put yourself into the disciples' shoes this morning as they just respond off of what Jesus just said. It's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And really what he's saying, it's impossible for man, any man, rich, poor, in between, to enter the kingdom of God. But with God, all things are possible. And that's where we left off. To follow Christ, you must forsake all for Him. So Jesus is going to plainly lay out the cost of following Him and the blessings that follow. Now, it seems like every week we talk about the cost of discipleship. What does it what does it cost to get eternal life? How do we get into the kingdom? Have you noticed all the way through Jesus just keeps mentioning I didn't know how much in the Gospel of Luke that you have this constantly. And it probably seems sometimes that I'm preaching the same sermon that I've been preaching for the last two or three years. Doesn't it seem so close to the same thing? But yet... Jesus puts it in different ways that we would truly know what it costs to follow Christ. So, let's grab our Bibles and uh, let's look at this text today that's found in Luke 18, starting at verse 28. Peter said, Behold, We have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother, brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Father, Help us to follow You because without Your strength and Your power, without Your Spirit, without Your Word, Lord, we could never follow You. We would never want to. We would never have the desire. But You have opened our eyes. You've given us the strength to follow the person of Christ. And we have found out that we would not trade You for anything. There's nothing that would keep us from You. That's what you have given to us and revealed to us. Help us understand this a little bit more. And we pray to the ears that need to hear this, that's all of us, that we would gain rich insight to Christ and His purpose. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, here we go. Christ called His followers to turn from sin and pursue the things of God not the things of this world. He says, no one can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Now we've seen that in Luke before. In Luke 14, verse 33, says 1 John 2.15, we cannot love the world and love Jesus at the same time. It's one or the other. Quite demanding. These requirements here 
all of them are for those who follow Christ. Now, in verse uh, 28, Peter says, Behold, we have left our home, own homes and followed you. In Luke 18.22, here's why he says this. When Jesus heard this, when the man said, I followed all the commands, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That's what gets Peter. The twelve had done what the rich young ruler could not do, did not want to do. Sell all of his possessions. Well, must everyone leave their family to be obedient to Jesus' words here? Are we to leave our husbands or wives or families or people that are dear to us? Are we to leave our jobs? Are we to leave our homes to follow Christ? (coughs) If that be true, then there are very, very few who follow Christ. So what does he mean? And I know that the next thing we would say, well, you must be willing to forsake all. Who? I'm willing, but you know what? I don't have to do it. I just have to be willing, but I don't really have to do it. And that is not an option either. Um, Clearly, there must be some kind of a drastic change in how we live when we follow Christ. So what does it mean to forsake others and all things to follow Christ? What does that mean? Well, what's following Christ? And here we go. We'll break it down here to uh, three things here under point one. Willing to forsake all to follow Christ. That's our first point, right? Willing to forsake all. Really, truly willing. I know for one thing, just going off of what we looked at last week, Stealing with uh, the idolatry of the rich young ruler. His idolatry was what? It was his gold. Gold was his god. Money, wealth was his idol. So he had an idol. What does an idol mean? It means to anything that replaces the importance of who Christ is. Comes in and takes the place of. That's an idol. So, Peter, the rest of the disciples say, we've left everything we own and follow you. By the way, the uh, the word says, Behold, we have left our own. You might have homes in italics. You probably better understand that as everything. Um, we've left everything we own and follow you. We've dropped everything and followed you. We have forsaken all. We have denied ourselves. Forget yourselves. That's really what they're saying there whenever it says we've left our own homes because homes, not in the originally Greek, saying everything. All your possessions. Whatever it is that's keeping you from... What's in it for us? Now, that passage we will get into when we get into verse 29 and 30, point 2. But just in case I forget, turn back to Matthew chapter 19 which is a, the parallel story of this uh, as far as what Matthew reported. And in verse 27, Peter said to Christ, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Now we get that in Matthew. You don't get it in Luke. It's about the rewards. What then will be there for us? So really our outline is... Um, following Christ here, and then the rewards that will be now and later in heaven. And eternal life goes on. So that's how we break this down. It's pretty simple. The Lord does not rebuke him. It's a justified question. What shall we have now? There are there's a parable about the man who built bigger barns. Remember that? He wanted more stuff uh, space to store more of his wealth, his riches, bigger barns to put everything in. Others cling to other things rather than just wealth or wealth. Wealth is a big thing, but others cling to sensuality and immorality and 
bitterness and anger and self-centeredness and all that long list of sins that you could read. Paul lists the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. We could turn there. You have the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, right? So in Galatians 5, verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. What are they? Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, which is the base of all the sins. It's having something that will replace Christ. My life is not fulfilled, so I need this. That's idolatry. That's why all the words that we saw before and all the words that we see after are based on this idolatry. So sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Just go on and on, right? Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, this is their ever-ongoing daily life, this is what they do, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means, just like the rich young ruler, if you're holding on to these things, and they define you, and they are your characteristics, and this is what you do, and it's what you look forward to do in any of these sins, then it says, if you practice these, that's your life. You're not going into eternal life, just like the rich young ruler, as Jesus had stated earlier. So, there we are. It... uh, We cannot cling to anything else, former sins and such. What did the apostles give up? Because that's what Peter says. Did they do it? Yeah, they sure did. Jesus says, He's already said before, if you do not leave uh, your house, your wife, your husband, brothers, parents, children, if you don't leave everything, then what? You're not worthy of the kingdom of God. In another passage, he talks about farms and properties. You know, there it's talking about possessions. Leave it all behind. All the priorities that you have in your life, if they weigh over Christ, he says, uh, if those things aren't changed, you can't enter into the kingdom. So, following Christ, one thing is, is letting go of our idols. The second one there is, be willing to do what God desires. That's true willing. Saying whatever He desires, whatever He wants, that's what I want. So, it means giving God like a blank check and saying, Lord, You can write anything You want on there. And that's what I want to do. Letting Him fill in the amount. It means everything, doesn't it? Um... You've heard the verse, God gives us the desires of our heart. He absolutely does. He gives us the desires of our heart. If we're following Him and truly want His will, He actually has put those desires that you have in your heart. It's not your own drummed up desires because that may not be the case. You say, well, I have this desire to do this. And if it's God's, if it's not God's will, then He's not going to bless that, is He? But if it's lining up with His will, did you know that He's the one that put that desire in you in the first place? If you are walking with Christ, where do those desires that I have come from? If they're not sinful and they glorify God, they came from Him. Look in that passage, Psalm 37.4. It's beautiful, isn't it? Quite a promise. It really is. It's a, it's a good thing. We just want His desires, don't we? Can we say that? I want His desires. It says in verse 4, look at this, Delight yourself in the Lord. Do you take joy in Christ? See, it's not just a matter of law, but it's relating to Jesus Christ. Delighting in Him. Rejoicing in Him. Knowing that He's our pleasures. He's what everything is about. Then He says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, if you pursue Him and you desire to have fellowship with Him, look at this, and He will give you the desires 
of your heart. Whatever He's planted there will be what you will want to do and you'll do it. That's how you've gotten to where you've gotten in your Christian life. Those were actually His desires that He gave you. Now, I will tell you, when I was younger, (laughs) many, many years ago, I guess, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. I really desired that. The Lord didn't give me that. (laughs) He'll give you the desires of your heart. I wanted to be a tremendous musician, a great guitar player with a great voice, and play in a band that made records that would sell in the millions, that they would be gold, that they would be platinum. That's what I desired. I really did. I tell that on myself. That was my desire. You know what? God didn't give me that. That's what I wanted. It says right there, He will give you the desires of your heart. I didn't get it. A lot of other things that I didn't get. I look back and I go, thank you, Lord, that you did not give me that. For if I'd gone that way, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. I probably would not have any desire for the Lord. I would have the desire to do what I wanted to do rather than His. Now, there are other people that He gives desires to and they do God's will in it and He gives them that same desire. But it wasn't for me. So I didn't get all that talent and I didn't get what I wanted. There are a lot of other things on and on and on. And I'm saying thank you, Lord, because to pursue you is the best thing and if there's something there that would have come an idol and it was an idol. It was my life. And Carolyn could tell you that. <laughs> That's what I lived for. I was very selfish. Still have selfishness to beat, don't I? I haven't conquered it. But I can say I'm glad that God led me along. And the true desires that I have, there's been a lot of them that, I, that come true and a lot of them I forget about. That's why Thanksgiving is so important because you start thinking back what He's done. And you go, my... I can't believe that I got from here to here and I'm not even worthy of that whatsoever and look where He's brought me. Look where He's brought every one of you. As you pursue Christ, it gives you more and more the desires that He has for you. Did you look forward to that? Sometimes He grants desires. Sometimes He changes our desires to match his desire. Well, all I want, Lord, is what? Your will. You remember the song that we just sang about His will? To do Your will. I mean, that is really what our life is about, isn't it? We pray these things, Father, in Your will. And Lord, if this is not Your will, then let Your will be done. Right? We pray for things. Sometimes we're not sure. Lord, if this is not right, then your will be done. As Jesus said that, we say it. That's a belief in a sovereign God and He's going to do what is always best for us. It's a good thing that He keeps some things from us because what would they turn into? Idols. Yeah, it takes a lifetime to learn that too. Still learning it. Remember, our minds produce idols. Even as Christians, we have idols here, don't we? We want to conquer them, truly. Thank you, Lord, for doing the best that you can for me. Because my best isn't going to make it. It doesn't cut it. So there's B. What is following Christ? What's letting go of anything that keeps us from God? Idolatry. Number two there. Be willing to do what God desires. And see. Pursuing Christ, His cause. You wake up every day, Lord. Uh, I want your. What is your cause? What is this all about? You have a plan. I want to pursue that. It, and it means this, really. What we said last week. What is eternal life? It means to know God. That's the most important thing 
that you can do. He said, I want to do God's will. Well, start, there's a lot of things there. But start with knowing God. Knowing more about it. The joy that it is to have a walking, living, talking relationship with Christ. Okay, there's point number one. Following Christ. Sounds like something we've talked about before, but I hope it's fresh. Because God's Word is always fresh, even though God's Word continually repeats. Sometimes I have to ask, Lord, am I supposed to be hammering on this week after week? It's like, wow, how many people can I drive away if I keep preaching about repentance and the cost of following Christ? It's hard. Isn't it hard? It's hard to hear. It's hard to listen to sometimes. Aren't you glad that Jesus told the truth? He didn't say, hey, just do whatever you want. You're okay. You're in the kingdom. And then find out on the day of judgment he was lying. He doesn't lie though, is he? He always gives the truth. Matter of fact, it doesn't hurt. What does it really do? It heals the wounds that we have from our own battles every day. You know, we're here to encourage each other. This really shouldn't chop us down. This Word is here to do what? To build us up. To edify. I want to see each life in our body, our little local body, to be built up. Not be torn down. So therefore, I pray that I, 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 I haven't taken this to such an extreme that it seems like legalism. You know what I'm talking about? That's not what we want to do just by just doing things and it makes us look good. We really want an inward change that is joyous. So number two, what it is to follow Christ. Well, here's the rewards now to follow Christ. The promise is a real particular one. It doesn't refer to the believer's reward at first, and just the eternal rewards. When say, well, I'm a Christian, and I'm waiting for my rewards. True. But right now. And we can say that because Jesus says it in verse 30. Who will not receive many times as much where when? At this time. And so he's saying in the present, right now. And then he says, and in the age to come, eternal life. So our point number two is divided up really in two parts. Rewards in this life and rewards in the kingdom to come. Um, eternal world. To this life now. It's not like you get your best life now, but in another sense, we are blessed, we are rewarded because we desire to follow Christ. The meaning is is that the believer shall find in Christ the equivalent and much more than anything that is replaced. Meaning, if He takes something out of us, He will put something in that's much better. We're not going to be lacking something. He's going to take it out and put something in that's better. Such as peace, hope, joy, comfort, rest. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? As Christians, yeah, you do. Communion with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. You know, those earthly losses, they don't really mean much anymore because they're counterbalanced by the things that he puts in. They're called spiritual gains. I think Paul talked about the same thing, didn't he? He talked about in Philippians, he said all of those things that he had, his self-righteousness, all the things, the degrees that he earned... If you could call them degrees, it would be equivalent to that though. A Jew of all Jews. A believer of all believers before he knew Christ. A Pharisee of Pharisees. And all the stuff that he worked for. And he said, I count that as rubbish. I count it as trash. Compared to all that Christ gives us. 
You know what? Kind of like that. The disciples, apostles, as they continue on to get the gospel out the rest of their lives, they were kept in a perfect peace. They kept their souls, their eyes on Christ all the way through. And whenever the darkest hours came, they were able to just rejoice with joy unspeakable as they went through tough times. Look in 1 Peter 1.8. Remember when Peter said, what rewards do we have? What's in it for us? Peter later writes this, and though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Now that's right now, isn't it? Has anybody seen Him? No. You love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, that's what faith is. Faith We live by faith and not by sight. Faith is believing and yet not seeing yet. It says you love Him and though you do not see Him now but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You guys experience a joy inexpressible? The glory, the excellencies of Christ, who He is, what life is about. We don't see Him physically, but we sure relate to Him in a spiritual manner. And knowing that one day we shall see Him as He is and be like Him. Amazing. Even in this present world, He's the well of living water that we continually drink from. Christ. Would you trade Christ for anything? Believer, there is no comparison, is there? All the promises. You know, Matthew 6.33, you know about that, don't you? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. All the desires that He puts into your heart they're yours. Second uh, Corinthians six ten. It's Paul writing. Amazing statement he makes. It's a long sentence, and I'm just gonna come at the very end and, and hit it. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I rejoice, I rejoice. You ever notice how many songs we sing that touch on things that we talk about in Scripture every week? Probably every one of those songs are right in there. That's what's so good about songs. You know what they do? They take, they take what Scripture is and put them all in one package and you get so much even in one song. And when you sing two, three songs, we sing eight today. How much Scripture was there? Well, you know, Really, every line was based upon Scripture. I think that's what's so great about it, because you get so much doctrine, and you sing it, and you rejoice. So here it is. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor. And I think we even sang that in that very last song that we sang. You know, give thanks. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing all things. Paul, what in the world are you talking about? Same thing that Jesus was saying. You leave it all for Him and you have all things that you need. He gives you everything pertaining to life and godliness. He really does. Has He failed us yet? No. He hasn't. Sometimes I wonder, you know, as I get older, you know, I'm going, what happens if if I get to where I can't walk anymore? What happens if I can't see anymore? What happens if I can't take care of myself? I can't even go to work anymore. What if I had a stroke? Now granted, actually, some of those things are legitimate to think about because it could happen and it can happen in a moment like that. It could happen to anybody, can it? But as you get older, you have more and more of a chance of that happening. And I'll go, wow, 
I don't want to get to a point where somebody has to take care of me and I'm an invalid and I can't do anything for myself. I don't want that to happen at all. I don't want to put a burden on anyone at, at any time. Lord, if I get to that point, Lord, just take me out, right? I'm sure, you know, as we go over there to the nursing home, that's some of the things that helps me think about what we're doing. Because I'm seeing these people in wheelchairs. I'm seeing people that are invalids. They can barely even express themselves. But then you think, you know, they must have done something bad to get there. No, 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 don't even go there. We know better than that. Most of them are older than, than us that go there. But to be honest with you, some are actually younger. <laughs> it gets me to reality thinking that could happen. But you know what? It is really interesting to see the joy that's in many of the hearts there despite the fact that they can't live at home anymore. They don't have any loved ones that are left anymore. I'm amazed. And I'm going, you know what? The Lord is seeing them through no matter what. The Lord does, and that's my point. The Lord has gotten you to where you're going. He's breaking our bodies down so that one day we will go to be with Him later to get that glorified body. Takes a lifetime pretty well for most people to get broken down. <laughs> it's quite a walk, isn't it? How would we do it if we didn't have the Lord? How could you get through that? No hope. Just waiting for the day you die. That's it. Boy, it hits, doesn't it? Thank you, Lord. You're always ever before us. Always. Now, the rewards. Church, you're one of my rewards. First, talk about the rewards now. The body of Christ is how you learn to love God. Because you love others no matter what. You have no option. You are to love them, right? And so you learn to how the body of Christ works. When you're in with God's people, you'd sacrifice for people because they've sacrificed for you. You see it love and action in the early church. Very early church outside world saw believers taking care of each other and loving each other. And they go... That's unheard of. That's how they could tell that they were changed people. It works in the church. A spiritual family made up of brothers and sisters and mothers and children. And it's there that we're able to bear fruit in the kingdom of God. That's where they see and we get to practice love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things. You guys gave up uh, money, time, whatever it was, like for the the uh, children's Christmas operation that we get. The boxes are just stacked up there in, in the office. So ton of them in there. And you took time. You took effort. You, and it took money to do that. You know, there's a, there's a lot of them. We don't need any more. We've got enough as we take over there. Fill up a car. But I can say that that is a love that comes out of it. You say, sometimes I don't have the money for that. It's getting close to Christmas. You have Thanksgiving. All these different things. But at the same time, it, it's a sacrifice. When you give up your offering, it should be a sacrifice. That's what helps others. It helps this church go along, right? You go on and on and you see it working. A daily fellowship with Christ. The pleasures of this world will pale in comparison to relating with Christ. But not only that, as we 
talk now about the rewards in eternity. We will have a fellowship with angels. And I'll bet nobody here really thinks about that very much. But it's true. Right now they're serving us. We don't even know it. It says in Hebrews, ministering spirits to us, right? But there we will know them. Um, an absolute fellowship with all the saints of all time. Fellowship with Christ. No sin. No suffering. Everything perfect. All the treasures of heaven will be there. Everything. Can you imagine experiencing that? There it is. We forsake all to follow Him and we'll get treasures in heaven. We get the great pleasures today, right now, just living it out. Walking our lives every day. So Peter said, what's in it for us? Look at 1 Corinthians... No, no, no. Matthew 19. Look at Matthew 19. Now this is the parallel passage to our text today. Matthew 19, 27-28. Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything, followed you. What then will be there for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly, I want you to listen to this, he says, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, you who have followed me in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones. Now who is He talking to here? To the disciples. He's talking to Peter and all the twelve. By the way, at this time, Judas was in this group. But his motive was never right, was it? There later came one to fill his shoes as he walked away. That would be Judas, right? So he says, The Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And I take those as literal. There will be tribes of Israel. The twelve tribes, they will be there. There will be nations there. Even though Jews, Gentiles, in the Christian realm, it says in Colossians as we study, there's no difference. But yet there is a difference and there's a line of demarcation. But in Christ we're all equal. But yet why would He make nations here and then not have nations that would be in the kingdom of God? It says the nations will eat from that tree of healing. The nations. You look in Zechariah. All through the Old Testament speaks a nation. God made nations. It's a glorious thing because there you get to see different people, different looks, different backgrounds. And when you see them as Christians, it is a really neat thing as it works in the body of Christ. They believe the same things. They're still equal in the body of Christ, but yet there is a flavors, a different flavor to different people. That's how He made them from the very beginning. You think in Genesis 10, how they were all separated at different languages. We said, well, that was because of sin. Yeah, but even out of that sin, what does God do? He makes demarcations, the boundaries, as it says in, uh, in the New Testament. The boundaries of the people. We see that in, in, in Acts. So, there it is. He says, you'll be sitting on thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. Go to 1 Corinthians 6, 2. This is hard to imagine. Verse 2, don't you know, <laughs> this is Paul's like, oh, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent 
to constitute the smallest law court. You guys can take care of yourself in the body of Christ if you have differences. You don't take it out to the outside world because one day you're going to be judging the world. Wow. The apostles judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Us, the saints, judging the rest of the nations. You'll be given cities, some ten cities, some five. You say, well, I'm not a judge. You will be. And every judgment that you make will be perfectly righteous. And you'll never make a mistake, no errors. To, to rule cities? That's right. Like governors. That's incredible. Mayors. <laughs> so I've never had any kind of political office ever in my life and never would I want to pursue it. Well, you will there. That's quite a privilege. That's the kind of being that He is making you to be like Christ. Leadership abilities that you can ever imagine having. Not only be judging them, but you'll be judging even the angels, it says. Treasures in heaven. The very absolute presence of Christ. First John 3, 2 says that He will be there. The presence of the angels and saints. Look in 1 John 3, 2. Usually I concentrate on being in the presence of Christ. What does verse 2 says? I might have missed a passage I was thinking of. Beloved, now we're children of God. It's not appeared yet what we will be. We know when He appears, we will be like Him because we'll see Him just as He is and everyone has this hope, purifies Himself just as He is pure. Presence of glory. Streets of gold. Jeweled city. River of life. All glorious all excellent, all perfect. Now, those are quite the rewards for each one of you who believe in Christ. That's what's coming. Right now, we've been given everything we need. When was the last time you ever went hungry? Is God taking care of us? Well, He takes care of people who are not believers. Right? Common grace. Yes, but at least we know where it came from. Because it says in Romans 1, there are people who do not give thanks to God. Unbelievers do not give thanks to God. Believers do. So it worked Thanksgiving in there, didn't it? <laughs> now the third one is like a passage that I, I used to think, okay, he just throws this in here, right? He's already made the statement about the cost of discipleship and then also the, the believers will have rewards now and on into eternity that are incredible. Wow. And then he hops in and says, hey, by the oh, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to arrest me and they're going to scourge me. They're going to crucify me and then on the third day I'm going to rise again. And the disciples go, huh? I mean, they, it flies totally over their mind because they're thinking of something else. Kingdom. They're probably thinking on the rewards that they're getting right there at that time as he says this. They don't comprehend it. And so here we are in Luke 18. And here we are where it comes in again. It's like the third time in Luke we have seen this. Actually, many more times, but with the statement that he makes, it's something that he has honed in on already. 31, he took the twelve. It says then, so I take it. At this very moment, and this is the way that Luke records it, I have to think it's that very time. And you go, and I was thinking, okay, uh, what is this doing here? And should I divide this up and do this next week? Well, we've already covered a lot. Should I do that? Or how can I put it into this passage? And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work there, then why should I force it? And then you, you really start thinking, you know, all of this... None of it's by accident at all, is it? Why does he say this? Why is this put here? He took the twelve aside, said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. Okay. 
Alright, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Yay! And you know what? They hear that. And they go, okay, we got rewards. He's going to Jerusalem. What's he going to do? He's going to take over and the kingdom is going to happen. And then he marches into the city and he's on that, humbly on that uh, uh, coat, colt. Is that right? And the people say, this is it. Hosanna! Save us now! This is it! Palm Sunday, right? No. This wasn't it. But it was the time to be crucified and pay the sacrifice that was demanded by God to take away sins for people to be forgiven. That was what time it was. So even the apostles who have been with Jesus for three and a half years don't get it. They don't get it. Actually, it was kind of hidden from them. One of the reasons why, though, is that they're thinking in a worldly way and prophecy is that way. We can understand prophecy to a degree, but it's something that is tricky sometimes because it hasn't happened yet. I can go back in the book of Daniel and see some prophecies there that are still ahead. But there are a lot of prophecies that have been fulfilled. You know what? That's easier to interpret when it's already happened. But when it's looking ahead, even though we've been given much revelation about it, I think we've been given much more than we ever deserved. And I thank the Lord for it. I love it. I love prophecy. But sometimes, you know, I just don't know for sure. I can say, here's what I think. This could happen. This is what it could be. Pretty close, right? Okay. Here he's saying that I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'll be mocked, mistreated, spit on. After they scourge me, they will kill me. Third day will rise again. That's the idea. What's he saying here? Okay, yes, you guys have sacrificed. And yes, you're going to be paid very well. The reward is much better than anything that you gave up. Because you want, you want to know? That is what eternal life is about. And what you're doing is the best thing that you could do in following me, Christ. He says, yeah, you've sacrificed. But I want to tell you why that sacrifice is any good. And by the way, your sacrifice really is not a sacrifice when you compare it to who Christ is and what He did. He said, okay, here's your sacrifice and here's the rewards. By the way, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to sacrifice my life for you and your sins are paid. You're forgiven. That's the idea. doesn't say that in those words, but how does this section fit in? Does it even have to fit in? Yes, it does. Because this section is not by itself. As a matter of fact, it supports what we have just seen and read. It's the support of that. You know what? All the tremendous sacrifices that we have done and given up, although they're very much important, they actually fade in comparison to this ultimate sacrifice of Christ at the cross. And this is the heart of the Gospel. Yes, we give up ourselves. That's what is demanded. But the gain that we get so far higher than the sacrifice that we have done. By the way, it's not a sacrifice. You've left all to follow me. But look at what is going to happen to me, Jesus says. So you will get the eternal rewards. Here is where it's really all based at right here. He says the prophecies are soon to be accomplished. And they knew those Old Testament prophecies. But they didn't see the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection. That's the heart of the Gospel. And they didn't see that. 
Nobody really saw that. I don't have enough time, but in Luke 9, 21 and 22, Jesus says that. In Luke 9, verse 44 and 45, Jesus says that. And so here in Luke 18, He says this again. My ministry is nearly over. This is it. Prophecies are now going to be fulfilled. Whatever it has been said about my crucifixion and death and resurrection is going to be accomplished. That's where we're headed. They miss it all. We don't have enough time, but it's Psalm 22. Psalm 69, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9.26, Zechariah 13.7. You can go on and on and then look at Luke and look at the other Gospel accounts all the way up through 18 here. I'll be arrested, I'll be mocked, I'll be scourged, I'll be killed, I'll be arisen from the dead. He's already said that. And it's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was prophesied. This death. The most horrible way to die. One writer says, death by crucifixion seems to include all that pain and death can have the horrible and ghastly dizziness, cramp, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness, traumatic fever, tetanus, shame, long continuance of torment, horror of anticipation, mortification of open wounds, breathlessness, all intensified just up to the point at which they can be endured at all. The pain goes all the way up to the point where you'd say, I wish I could just go unconscious. I would rather die and you can't even die and you're still conscious because you feel all of this that's why this was the worst of all the kinds of deaths that you could have every movement every breath is painful the veins are lacerated he goes on to say and they're gradually gangrened the stomach becomes swollen, compressed with surcharged blood while each variety of misery went on gradually increasing. It's an intolerable pain of a burning and raging thirst. Tortured by men. Arrested by Gentiles. Turned over to the Jews, His own. They're responsible for that. He says that has to happen. They don't know all that. They have no idea because it says in 34, but the disciples understood none of these things and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. They couldn't take it. And they did not comprehend things that were said. It wasn't until after the cross and the resurrection that they got it. And in Acts 1, Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God. And they're saying, when is that? He says, it's not for you to know. Was he saying there's not going to be a kingdom? No, he's saying it's not for you to know when this is going to be. It's the times of refreshing. It's the time of restoration. Much said about that kingdom which they looked to, they knew, they knew a lot of facts about it, but they forgot and they didn't know about the crucifixion. Darkness and blindness of these disciples that they had, they were shocked. This doesn't fit their theology. It doesn't fit. They had all these truths, but there was something they didn't get. But you know what? the vicarious death of Christ where He comes in our place, atones for our sins, is a stumbling block and it's an offense to almost all people who have ever lived. Before we even came to Christ, really it was an offense to us too. We didn't really know what it meant. But we look at it and we can see how they missed it. We would have too, living at that time. We get to look back, folks, and see that. Now, the disciples got to look back, and they saw it. That's what they taught them. That's what the Gospel was all about. As they went to the all over the known world to preach this good news. The doctrine of the cross is foolishness to people that don't know Christ and His substitution on that cross People deny Him. They reject Him. They refuse Him. 
But I want to tell you, it is worth it all. How do we begin this message? Is it worth it? With that being said, does that help us to say, oh, absolutely, it's worth it all. That's what we want to remind ourselves because we already know that. We already know that deeply. Keep being reminded. No matter how discouraging things can be, be encouraged because of this, because the rewards that are awaiting for you and the rewards that you even have now. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious truth that You've given us. It ends with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We stand in awe of that because that is how we have fellowship with You right now and on into eternity. The best is yet to come. Thank You for giving us so many things that is glorious right now. We are in awe. This is why we give You praise and thanksgiving. In Your Son's name, Amen. Amen. It's a glorious day. Enjoy this day that the Lord has given. For this is the day that the Lord has made.